Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Brushback Baseball Podcast. Um, we are continuing our our uh, series, um, practicing our social distancing and using our uh, remote episodes. Yeah. So thanks for bearing with us as I continue in my garage here. So if you hear some noise in the background, uh, we apologize, but thank you, guys. Um, no, we have a really special guest today um, and who's a part of the Dodger family. And it's only right with... David being such a huge Dodger fan, it, it's only right for him to be able to <laughs> look at what he wore, of course, to introduce our guest today. So, uh, but before, before I turn it over to him, um, I just wanted to give a quick update. If you guys haven't noticed, um, our hats arrived. I know we announced it on Instagram, um, and a few of you guys have actually reached out, and we're going to be sending those out as soon as possible. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make that quick little announcement. So um, without further uh, delay, I'll turn it over to David. Sure. I so, yeah. So today we have basically somebody who's been involved in every Dodger memory that I basically had in my formative years. I was born in 1980, and you know the '88 World Series was pinnacle. And we have today Boyd Robertson, who is known as the Booth Boss, was literally uh, Vince Scully's right hand man for 28 years. Before that was with Chick Hearn, and I can't introduce you as well as I think you did just in a few minutes yesterday and how you got started. Uh, so why don't we get with how you got started with LA Media? Well, first of all, it's good to be with you guys and everybody that's uh, listening or going to listen. Um, I started out in college in 1973. I know that's a long time ago. When I was a uh, junior in college, my roommate and I played college golf for a small university back in southeastern Oklahoma. He got to be a caddy for a professional golfer, not a famous one, but a professional golfer in Fort Worth, Texas. And I wanted to do that too, but the caddy master at Colonial in Fort Worth said, we do not need any more of college caddies. Uh, we've we've filled our quota. However, ABC Sports is televising the Colonial Tournament uh, Saturday and Sunday, the PGA Tour uh, Colonial Tournament. Would you like to be a gopher and a runner for fifteen dollars a day? Uh, your own transportation, um, uh, your own food, whatever. But you'll get to work for the people at, at ABC Sports that are telecasting the event. I said I'm in. Uh, first of all, that I, I got to cut class. Uh, second of all, uh, I, I got to be in a sport that uh, I loved since I was 12 years old. And uh, here I am, uh, knowing who these golfers were, and not knowing them personally, but working for production people and technical people that knew had to, how to put on a telecast. And that's really how I got started, because I loved every second of it. And I told my parents immediately, I said, I know I'm getting a business degree uh, but this is something I, I think I would like to do when I graduate from college, and that's basically what I did. So how did you make the move out? Uh, how long did you work at ABC in Texas? Uh, well, I, I worked all over the United States for ABC Sports because I got my start there, yes, but they started giving me more work, freelance work, and then they started paying for me to fly to different events and so I became a, a, a higher paid gopher and a runner. And then I became a stage manager and a graphics coordinator uh, for Monday Night Football in 1977. And then, uh, yes, I got to work with in the booth with Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford and Don Meredith. That was my year, 77, to be their stage manager. And what a what an interesting, different, uh, fun uh, terrifying, all kinds of things going on on every Monday night uh, because of just the way people liked and did not like Howard Cosell and how they liked Don Meredith and Steady Frank Gifford and so forth. They all treated me well, and uh, I enjoyed working for the producer, Dennis Lewin, learning a lot from him, and Chet Forty, the director, who was ABC's number one director at the time. And uh, th that's uh, it just got going more and more and more with golf events and a world cup skiing overseas, the Indy 500, um, uh, the Kentucky Derby, uh, all those big events. I got to be parts of over three and a half years from 1976 through, uh, June of 1979. 
And then they they told me, uh, meaning they the the guys who hire the uh, the young kids out of college who want to be producers and directors of the future. Uh, one of the main guys, uh, Chuck Howard, who was one of the three big guys at ABC Sports under a name of Rune Arledge. He was the the overlord of ABC Sports, and they had most of the sporting events. So Chuck Howard told me that he doesn't see me as a producer-director at ABC Sports in the future. You can work as long as you want to for us, uh, but you're not going to make it through to the next level. So uh, as, as hurt as I was on that, um, and I felt, I felt bad, I felt like a failure like everybody else would, I knew that other people had been told that before me uh, who had a, a, a better college education, uh, uh, had connections and things like that. But I took that as, okay, I'll keep working for a little while longer and then I'll work on my resume. And um, I did. Some of the directors, uh, staff directors that were there at ABC put me in touch with a director who shot television commercials based in Burbank. So I went and interviewed with him in May of 79 while I was still working for ABC. And uh, he hired me as his producer and we produced commercials that would end up on sporting events that I used to work on. Uh, car commercials, um, uh, Mr. Coffee commercials, and things like that. So I was doing that, and I was still working in the sports business as a freelance guy. We're now into the 80s, and then cable TV started in 1985 with Prime Ticket, and I was I started there as a freelance uh, stage manager. Uh, production assistant, and that's when I started working with uh, Chick Hearn because we got, uh, we were able to, the Prime Ticket was able to get some Laker telecasts. And uh, so either I was his, his PA, sometimes stage manager because of the pecking order, and then I became his full time stage manager for about 15 years until his death. And uh, he's the one, he's the connection that I had with, uh, with Vin Scully, where when I was asked in, uh, let's see, in 89, a uh, couple of months before the, the, the baseball season started, um, I was asked by a producer or director, hey, we have an opening uh, to work with Vin Scully, uh, his stage manager, to work Dodger road games and a few home games. We only did about 50 or 55 games uh, a, a season back in 89. So uh, so I went to my uh, Laker producer and I told him what was going on. And then I went to Chick Hearn and Chick uh, immediately said, you need to do this. We'll find somebody to uh, replace you uh, wow. when you're not able to, uh, to do Laker basketball. And you need to go work with Vin Scully. He's one of the best announcers ever that'll be good for you. And so he encouraged me and I ended up taking the job and said, yes, I will do it. So um, when the baseball season started in 89, remember the Dodgers were the 88 world champions. So they were on top of the baseball world uh, with Gibson and Hershiser mm -hmm. and, and all those guys and a great team and great people, Mickey Hatcher all those guys. So I was the rookie, even though I'd been in the television business, I was the rookie around uh, those guys and the production team and especially around Ben. So, you, so you're so, telling me that you're the reason why the Dodgers haven't won since, <laughs> since as soon as you started at, in 89? That's right. I'm the curse. <laughs> well, you know what I'm they, the living curse. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they said? Don Mattingly started with the Yankees in 82 as a rookie. And retired in '95, which happened to be um, most of their uh, World Series drought. So <laughs> yes. that's why. So, by the way, so Don, oh, go ahead. Go Don, ahead. By the way, you mentioned Don Manley. Uh It was a pleasure to work with Don and be around Don while he was uh, a coach for Joe Torre and uh, the Dodger manager. He seems like one of the more laid-back guys out there, just generally. Yeah, as a player, he would seem yes. like a guy, a really cool guy, to, a manager to play for. I so, believe that. So you 
you've really worked with, forget just the Los Angeles market, the, you know, in sports history, two of the biggest names. How are they different? And also, how are they similar in, in what they did their work? Uh, I'll take the similar first. Uh, the similar in, in whatever age they were, uh, they were dedicated to their craft, even if they didn't feel well or they had been on a long road trip, they plowed through it and they did their routine of getting ready for every game day after day. So when, when I would see Chick at the Forum or at Staples Center, uh, you could tell he was prepared for that night and he had questions leading into that night. Uh, about the matchup between the Lakers and whoever the team was. Same way with Vin. For a 7 o'clock game, 7-10 game, Vin would come in uh, to the press box and into TV booth one around 3.30, quarter to 4, depending on traffic, as we all know. He would come into the booth. He would be prepared from reading and going on computers and uh, finding different kinds of information to prepare himself for that particular night. And uh, that, that's what was impressive about those guys, that they consistently did it day in, day out, home, road, those kinds of things. But, so for somebody like me, who and I don't know all the details that kind of go into, you know, putting out a broadcast like that, you know, where did, you know, <clears throat> what was your level of involvement in, in, pre in preparation um, in helping guys like Vin and Chick, um, you know, get ready for the broadcast? Oh, I'll, I'll take Chick first. Well, I would go to the producer, Jerry Romano, at the time. And uh, so I would ask Jerry, what promos do we have? What copy does he need? And Jerry would have that for me at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon for uh, 7.40 tip. And uh, we would go over all of it. Uh, there would be updates. There would be changes, uh, new sponsors in, old sponsors out, those kinds of things that Chick would have to look at before we hit the broadcast. And if he didn't like the copy, he could modify it or change it or update it or say it a different way. So I was the conduit to give him or show him the copy uh, that he would have to read of different kind of sponsorships okay. that he would have to get into the, to the broadcast. Uh, same way with Vin, um, I, I would get that information from the producer and then bring it in uh, to Vin and either rewrite write it differently, or he would say, that's fine, we can use that. Uh, that. That would just start the day. And then once the day started with Vin, there may be some, some information, statistical information, before the, the stats person got to yeah. the booth, that he, that he or Rob Minchell, who was our lighting director, our cameraman, uh, we would look at our computers to look certain things up that he had a question because he would, he would have information prepared on all the players and the coaches. It might be a lot of information. It might be a little bit of information. And he may not even get that information in. So he might be looking at something and researching something. When all the statistics would come in uh, into the booth uh, called the game notes and uh, the stat pack, uh, he would look those over and then he would start asking some questions and we would assist him with that. Uh, Rob would take something, I would take something else, and we would give it to him as we would get that information. And he would write it down or we would print it out or whatever the case may be, and he might or might not use it for the telecast. It's just according if it, if it worked uh, during the telecast, it, didn't, it wasn't an intrusion because everybody wants to sit at home and watch the game and watch the score mm -hmm. and, and hear his voice of how he interprets the game. Right. And imagine you have to, yeah, you have to react pretty quick, but <clears throat> I'm sure nowadays with everything just being, being able to type up stuff during the mm -hmm. broadcast and doing it that quickly live, um, was it, is, is it quicker now than it was back in, you know, the eighties when you started? Yeah, it, it is. It was quicker. It <clears throat> is quicker. And I'll give you an example, uh, with holding up my uh, phone is Ben would be talking about something. Let's say, uh, it was, uh, about world war two because he's from that era and he would bring up World War II uh -huh. and talk about the sacrifices that everybody made. And he would have a story about maybe a player or a coach's grandfather that served on a certain ship and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, he's talking about this ship. I would Google that ship 
and I would find some information about that ship, and then I would hand him my phone, and he would look at it while he was still talking to the audience and also saying, ball three, a little outside, <laughs> and he would look at that, and then he might pick up something from my phone that I found that he would add to that story. Wow. That's how good he was at multitasking, uh, bringing all that information in, and then disseminating that uh, that information out to the broadcast. Wow. Yeah, that, that you know, solidifies the fact that I would not be good at, at being a broadcaster, <laughs> but I can't multitask, so <laughs> uh, kudos to him for that. Yeah, well, for sure. That, that also tells you how highly trained he trained himself over the years as more information became available to them right. uh, as the decades went by, how he disseminated it and then prepared, and he would do that every day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite anecdotes uh, or one of his favorite stories that he would tell would be every D-Day. He would go over the sacrifice that the guys on D-Day would do. And the last few years, um, you know, I'm a U.S. history buff, so I love uh, the way he would he would tell that. But I could sense the frustration in his voice with people not recognizing that. That was one of the only times I ever heard Vin really get emotional about stuff. Yes. But um, but loved, you know, just how we would intertwine everyday life and, and the life that we live with. Well, uh, to, to add to that, uh, I would hang on his every word when he would talk about D-Day or a D-Day story or World War II related story. Uh, I hung on it so much that not too many years ago, uh, my two kids and I went to Europe and we specifically went to France and we took the train out to Normandy and we walked on Omaha beach and we went to the American cemetery when we went to an area called Pointe du Hoc, uh, because, um, that, that is a great generation was a great generation and we should never forget them. So that had a large impact on me. And it also had a large impact of my parents being from that mm-hmm. era, how they told me about World War II. What do you think was, you know, <clears throat> thinking back to Vin's favorite kind of stories, I love the, the Jackie Robinson ice skating racing story that he'd tell a ton. And mm-hmm. uh, I, he also loved to key in his last few years about Madison Baumgartner dating Madison Baumgartner. Which one of yeah. kind of his stories was your favorite that you'd hear over and over and it'd be just as fun anytime you'd hear it? Uh, the, uh- the Jackie Robinson story or any Jackie Robinson story about um, how he handled uh, the way he was treated, meaning Jackie as a baseball player. And, and on top of that, how much his wife, Rachel, who's still mm-hmm. with us, how much she put up with and, and Roy Campanella's stories and uh, the Don Newcomb stories, how much they put up with back in the late forties and early fifties he was a young Irish kid and witnessing all this and being kind of in it and, and watching it. And, uh, uh, it was incredible to, to hear those stories because we weren't there. Uh, mm-hmm. I was born in 1952. So yes, that, the, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers were going big then and they had wonderful teams then and wonderful players, but we weren't there. We we can only read about it, but Vin gives us, uh, the walking museum, as I like to call it, he gives us his perspective because he was in it. He lived it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Um, I had a question though, when I was looking, you know, I, I realized I used to watch the, the Dodger games back when, when I was a kid, cause you had the angels and the Dodgers were on, um, channel 63 and 64 back then. So it was either the angels or Dodgers that I was watching. But yeah. every time I watch, I realized right. that <clears throat> Vin was, in their solo, kind of the only, the only broadcaster, and you were sitting there right next to him. Did that put any more, mm-hmm. like, uh, probably a lot more work for you to help, help, help Vin out a little bit more? Now I feel like nowadays you're always having multiple broadcasters in there who can bounce and talk ideas off of each other. Did you feel mm-hmm. that there was any more pressure, not pressure, but you know, more for you to do to kind of keep him going? Uh, it depended on the game. Sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. There was three of us in the booth. Uh, Rob Minchell, whom I mission, who was the high home cameraman, 
he had his computer going. Uh, I had mine, uh, uh, my phone going and access to Rob's computer because it was next to me. And our statistician, uh, who the last 10 years that worked with Ben, uh, is named Brian Hagen. And he was part of the team. So we all three had access to different things. And I would turn around to Brian. I'd say, why don't you take so-and-so and I'll take this part of it. So he may take the first half of the story. I may take the last half of the story. Or if it was statistical, I would tell Brian, why don't you do that? And I'll do something else that Ben is talking about. So we all had this little dance going on, if you will, of feeding him information. And we never, ever got upset if he never used it on the air because yeah. we knew down the road, the next game, the next inning, the next pitch, it would be something else. You could pull that, from that too. That yeah. we, yeah. Exactly right. <clears throat> we would pull from that and uh, he would he would use it. And uh, so and that made our day of going forward, just doing the research and uh, listening to him. And the, the camera guys, obviously, uh, besides the guys in the mobile unit the, and the women in the mobile unit, uh, they're listening to Ben because he's telling a story and the cameramen are trying to think, OK, where is he leading us? He's leading us probably to a person that's on the field okay. or in the dugout or something like that. And that's what made it fasc fascinating to work with Vin of where his stories were going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many moving yeah. parts to, to, to putting together, you know, a, a broadcast. That's amazing. Really and cool to hear. you were part, you were part of Vin's team. There's, there was a separate team for Ross and, the, and then later, uh, uh, Steiner and Monday, right? They have, so uh, when I worked with Vin, uh, he would go over to radio for the middle three innings, mm -hmm. and Ross Porter or or Don Drysdale, when he was with us, they would do the middle three innings. But I, I stayed in the TV booth, and uh, so I worked with with Ross, and I worked with uh, with Don Drysdale, both guys great to work with, and uh, so I did that for many years. And then Ross re, uh, retired, and then we know what happened to Don Drysdale, which was unfortunate. A great guy to work with, and I had worked with him in the 70s with Don because he was an announcer also for ABC Sports. So I got to work okay. with him and, and, and at, for a, a shows called Superstars and Super Teams. He was uh, one of the announcers, one of the hosts for those shows uh, back on the ABC Sports. I uh, actually wanted to cover Don Drysdale because I know it was so integral to your early years over there. Um, that probably had to be one of the toughest experiences ever. But that was in Montreal, right? I believe it was in Montreal. They, my recollection is, earlier in that week we had finished a homestand, and uh, Roy Campanella had passed away. Mm -hmm. And then we all we got all got on the plane and uh, flew to uh, Montreal to get ready for a road trip. And uh, he passed away uh, that uh, technically, I guess, that Friday night. And but we didn't know about it till the next afternoon, Montreal time on Saturday. And we still had to work. We still had to do a baseball game. And um, um, I, I'm still amazed uh, that that Vin, yes, he knew Don very well. Uh, he he remained professional and mm -hmm. he he kept it simple and told the fans when it was when it was time to tell the fans when Peter O'Malley gave him the word through Bill Delury, the uh, traveling secretary, that the families had been notified that Vin could tell the audience what had happened, mm. and we had to we had to carry on. We had to do the games and. I think we went to Philadelphia after that, and then we went on to uh, Shea Stadium in New York to finish out the road trip, and that was difficult for everybody, but uh, the show went on, and uh, we made it through the best we could before we uh, came back home. Tyler, um, our, uh, how, uh, so let's move on to... Uh, kind of Vin as a person, as, as a friend. Mm -hmm. You obviously had a very strict line between professionalism, but as a human being, um, what can you say, you know, that people see, but that you experienced? Well, a couple of the experiences is with 
with the public that that get to come in or got to come in to see him in the booth. And the other is experiences with me. Uh, since I was the young guy, the first few years, yeah, yes, I was nervous and yes, I made mistakes. In fact, the first mistake I made was probably the first game. And I told my producer and director, I said, I gave him some information and it's incorrect. I need to tell him that it was incorrect, uh, during the commercial break. And they said, okay. And I, I don't even remember what it was. Maybe it was a wrong score or who, who knows what it was. So, uh, we were in Cincinnati, the, the inning ends and I looked at him and I did one of these, in other words, take your headset off. So he took his headset off and he says, what's up? And I said, you know, that information that I gave you, blah, blah, blah about this and so forth. It was incorrect. I made a mistake. It's my fault. And he kind of looked down and he didn't say anything, which I thought was for about a minute but it was probably for a few seconds that I said, okay, my career is over with here. Uh, <laughs> be prepared, be prepared. And he looked at me and he, and he turned his head and he said, welcome to the club, which, <laughs> which meant, and you guys know what that means. It right. meant he's human. He has made mistakes. He doesn't want to make the mistake. It's just like a ground ball to a rookie shortstop. Don't hit it to me because I'll make a mistake and I'm in the World Series and I'm going to throw it away or I'm going to hit an error. So that really helped me when he said that to me that, oh, he's, he's given me a chance here. Uh, he wants me to succeed. He wants me to have confidence in how I support him. So the, that I've told that story many times and I'll continue to tell that because it's good for young people to hear. Don't be afraid to fail. We all fail. Uh, it's just on what level we fail on and not maybe repeat that failure over and over so we can go forward with confidence and things like that. So th th that helped me a lot. And as the years went by, we, we became, uh, yes, we became friends. Uh, he always asked me about my kids. He's watched my kids grow up and seen them come into the booth. He always asked them, has asked them what, what they're doing, how they're doing. And as I've asked about his kids and his grandkids and, and so forth with he and his wife. So it really took off to be a, a, a wonderful relationship because he cares. Mm -hmm. And he cares about all the crew, not just me because I'm, I was there by him for many, many days in a row. But uh, the producer, the, the audio guy, the uh, utility person that would set up the equipment and things like that. He always had, had time for them. And uh, I, I watched that. I witnessed that. And I, I would appreciate that, too, that he would do that. And I would have crew people come up to me to say, he, he just started talking to me in the hallway uh, after he had dinner and asked me how I was doing and how's work going and things like that. So many times he would, he would do that to the crew because he knew why we were all there and our function. And he wanted us to succeed just like he wanted me to succeed and all the camera people and technicians and producers and directors to try to put on the best telecast we could put on. So that's awesome. The, to hear. the yeah, it, it really, it, it touches my heart every time I think of it, that, that he took the time to do that. And, yeah. um, as far as fans were concerned when they were, when they had the privilege of doing a meet and greet with him in TV booth one, or maybe it was in a little room in the press box when he was so busy, he had meet and greets going on in two different places. I would help the PR people and uh, James Mims, who was out in front uh, of the press box, we would do a little dance before the game and coordinate these meet and greets. So he treated those people, uh, yes, he knew it was their first time to come into the booth and first time for them to meet them, and there would be times where I would go to them and bring them into the booth. And I, I would tell them, now, remember, just call him Vin. Don't call him Mr. Scully. And they would look at me with this frightened look on their face. And they would say, as an example, but my dad told, it, told me to call him Mr. Scully. Or that's all. I, I, out of respect, I have to call him Mr. Scully. I said, okay. So someone would call him Mr. Scully, and he would correct them and say, it's just Vin. Call me Vin. And he would take the time 
and, and ask them about their lives and what they were doing. And if they would bring a little kids in, uh, do you play baseball? What position do you play? Um, are you having fun? Enjoy the game, things like that. Whatever time he could give them, he would speak directly to them and he would remember their names after he got introduced to them when he would say goodbye to them. Wow. And that, that's, just, that's the way he conducted his life and he still does to this day. Uh, I don't get to talk to him very much. I email him or I'll text him. Uh, we'll talk every once in a while, but uh, I know he's uh, he's doing well, and uh, he's uh, he's uh, he he he's he's missed by everybody. I get uh, asked about him a lot yeah. from visiting announcers or crew yeah. people. Hey, when's the last time you talked to Vin? And I'll say the holidays and things like that. Um, so he's uh, he, for for to have a career like that for sixty seven years. No actor does that. No politician does that. Um, it, it's rare to be around a person like that. But he, he was very steady, very consistent on everyday life. And his attitude was always positive. Even if he didn't feel good, you wouldn't necessarily know it. Or he had a lot of personal things going on, you wouldn't know it. And he would, he would conduct his day like it, it was any other day. What was it like for you wrapping up? That last year, uh, you know, at that at, at that point, yeah, 2016. Well, uh, Rob Minchell and I and Brian Hagen, remember my my buddies in the booth. We all knew it was going to be difficult, difficult personally because it was a long goodbye, and then uh, difficult uh, to try to shuttle with with the Dodger organization and uh, the other organizations that were there visiting because they all wanted to see him whether it was owners of teams uh the milwaukee brewers owner came in uh celebrities uh a big poppy the baseball player things like that just just to try to get him in at a time where he, we could do our work uh he could eat before the game but yet still have time for as many people as possible he didn't turn anybody down uh, he, he didn't That's want to amazing. turn anybody down. I remember, I remember our bullpen coach uh, for many years, Mark Cressy. He and his wife were there either on the last day or the next to last day, and uh, they had, they had contacted me because I've known them for a long time. And I told them, I said, Mark Cressy and his wife are outside, and he had already done seven or eight meet and greets on that day. Um, I said would you like for me to put them in the copy machine room, which was over by the entrance of the press box? He said, I'll be there in a few minutes. Just put them in there. So I went out and I, I got them, collected them and put them in the coffee machine room where you could have a little bit of quietness. Cause Mark had spent many, many years with the Dodgers. He was part of the 88 world series and a uh, good man, good family man. And uh, so I visited him with a, for a little while and then I said, here he comes, have a wonderful visit. And then I left them just so they could have a one-on-one -on -one with him. And I went back to the booth. So um, it, it was a long goodbye. It was a, a happy and sad goodbye. I, I really had two goodbyes. The, the, the home game, the, his last home game was a goodbye. But when we got on the plane, uh, and then we eventually ended up in San Francisco for his goodbye, his la very last game. And by the way, the San Francisco Giants treated him so well uh, and catered to all of his needs and some things he didn't even think of uh, by how they treated him and how they honored him and the fans honored him and so forth. So it was wonderful to, to see that. And, and that, was, that was a sad time when he was writing in his book after the game had ended and he was writing in his scorebook to, to finish it and he closed his scorebook. That was a huge ending for me. Wow. Was it sad? Yeah, it was sad. And, uh, of course his wife said, now don't start crying. And I put my <laughs> hand on my mouth like that. And I said, I said, Sandy, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, but I'm very happy for you and I'm very happy for him, even though, the journey has ended for all of us. So, yeah, it was, I hugged him goodbye. Couldn't say anything. It was that emotional. And I didn't need to say anything. 
So, uh, I mean, I'm getting emotional about it now because, because we, we do miss him. Uh, fans missed him. And you, you saw his last day at Dodger stadium when our director, uh, Dustin Denny was shooting people in the crowd and they were openly weeping because this was part of their family because they had listened to him for so long. We, yeah, we all, yeah, we all have. And, uh, and how much they, they were going to miss him because goodbye is kind of final. <laughs> Yeah, and and to have it happen on a Charlie Culberson home run oh, too, to to have that yeah. walk off and go to the playoff. I think they clinched that game too. So just to have the whole yeah. experience <laughs> was uh, was really great. I, well, there's footage of me uh, sitting there watching the Charlie Culberson home run unfold, and I, I'm shaking my head and not saying anything, <laughs> and thinking to myself, "This cannot be happening." This. I know what's about to happen. Vin's about to say goodbye to the fans, but this just added to it. This this script hasn't been written, and this is unbelievable. Wow. So I just kept shaking my head because that's all I know. I knew what to do. <laughs> Probably couldn't believe what so you're you, witnessing right so, there. Yeah, I, that's right. As <clears throat> Jack Buck said uh, in '88 when he was on radio, uh, and Gibson. And he says, I don't believe what, what I just, I just saw. saw. Yeah. Well, that's what was in my, yeah, uh, that was what was in my mind. And then what was about to unfold with Ben saying goodbye with his wife standing there. Wow. Incredible. Amazing. So um, you had Vin. Uh, the transition happens with, it, mm-hmm. in an odd way, very similar story. Very young guy with uh, Joe Davis coming in mm-hmm. and Oral. Um what can you say about what you see now with those guys, which is, I, I love, especially with social media, their dynamic, you know, that they're in the car on the way back from road trips, just moving around, doing <laughs> yeah. whatever. So what can you say about that dynamic with this changeover? You know? Well, it's, it shows, first of all, those uh, little snippets, uh, it shows that they're human and it's just not all baseball, all serious, all the time. They do have a good time together. Uh, they bring two different personalities in the booth. Obviously, Joe is, is the young, prepared announcer. Oral's the, uh, the the longtime veteran who's got a great personality, and he had that from day one when I met him in 89. And uh, they, they feed off each other. They tease each other. You hear it on the air. You hear it off the air. And then Rick Krajewski, who's our statistician, in the booth, he he's very good at statistics and numbers, and uh, kind of digging at them every once in a while when, when when they don't get the number just right. Or no, I said it this way. I'm giving it to you that way, and then and then I'll I'll chime in every once in a while. Oh, is that what you want? Oh, okay. Well, we can do that uh, <laughs> since I'm since I'm the booth boss and yeah. I procure them things with the production production assistant that helps me. Uh, thank goodness uh, we have production assistance because that's where I came from from a long time ago. So they're a lot of fun to work with. Uh, they make the the day pass very well. They love the game of baseball like the rest of us. And uh, uh, Nomar's in there too when when mm-hmm. Oral takes some days off. I, I enjoy that. Uh, so that was it, a guy I, I grew I up look, watching. I'm looking forward to it. I wish I, I wish Sunday was going to be happening at Anaheim Stadium uh, this Sunday the 22nd. It's not. Uh, I, I've got to text them, and uh, I haven't talked to them since Christmas, so it's time to uh, get on the phone and, and say hello to them. But uh, uh, hopefully they're doing as well as everybody else is. That, that kind of leads me into a question I wanted to ask for you. is What, are, what do you think of what's going on with baseball right now and the postponement and everything? I mean, for, for somebody like you, what, how, you know, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it, it got me in, in two ways. Uh, I was working Clipper basketball uh, this past winter and up until last week. Okay. Uh, I work on the Clipper telecast, the pregame, halftime, and postgame show as a stage manager. And um, as you know, that, that ended. Mm-hmm. And then baseball has right now temporarily been put on hold. So I've never been in that situation. I've been in the situation where baseball went on strike yeah, for 94. a little while. Yeah, and we didn't lose the whole season, but it was just it was just odd, and we cranked it back up. Well, this is the unknown, 
And uh, it is very odd for all of the crew people that I've talked to and, and how we just have to survive it, uh, like all of us, getting out when we can. Uh, we miss it. I miss it. And uh, I'm, I was hoping to do this for a few more years, uh, baseball that is, and basketball, before I retire. Okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. This is such a weird time, and me as a as a fan, it's, it is. It's tough. I miss. I miss baseball. I miss the. I, I'm. I'm somebody who goes and I check the box score every. You know, every single box score, and I just look at everything. And now I'm kind of like, oh, what do I do now? You know. <laughs> and that's and that's been part of your routine. Everybody else that's a baseball fan or a sports fan, that's been part of their routine, and, and so our routine has been taken away from us, and we're. We're kind of struggling with that. We're kind of fighting with that internally, yeah. and we just ha- have to learn to live with it. Yep. Well, we'll do. We'll we'll, we'll get back to it. Yes, I'm hang sure in sooner. there, guys. <laughs> sooner rather than later. Who knows? We might start the baseball season with the All Star Game at Dodger Stadium. You never know. <laughs> we talked about that at our uh, our last uh, our last episode, which is kind of funny. But. Yeah, we had an agent that. Uh, that came on last episode and um, you know, to hear it from their end of the business with the players uh, very similar. It just, it's the whole world that just stopped. So it, you know, it'll get back, but um, it will. Do you think, uh, do you think the all-star game will still be at Dodger stadium this year or well, do you think? It, I, I think if the season was wiped out, maybe they'll, they'll push it to next year. That's just a personal opinion, not based on any, any factual information. Um, if we can have a semblance of a season, I don't know, 80, 90, a hundred games, uh, then I think they would have, uh, the all-star game. Um, but I don't know if it's going to turn around that, that quickly enough to where, where, yeah, it it may not. I I don't know. I'm not going to get my hopes up until somebody, uh, above my pay grade, starts giving me hope on that and and that's from our government and then trickles down to major league baseball and and uh, the commissioner and on and on and on so we'll keep our fingers crossed that yep. that we will have a baseball season in some form this year i um i was particularly excited to see the um the changes that were coming to dodger stadium this year because they were just basically opening the whole thing up did they do anything from your technical standpoint in the booth to to do anything back of house no they they have not uh, done that uh, we and we haven't been informed on that if they did they, they weren't gonna um, uh, they weren't gonna modify that level uh, the in, in the Vince Scully press box uh, at all the, years ago uh, when I say years ago five or probably five years ago now they were thinking, and, and it may just still be a thought, they were thinking about taking the press box level and moving it up to the front or reserve. But I haven't heard that talk because uh, they wanted to improve the outfield and add the elevators uh, on, the, on the wings, on the side, on the curl of the stadium. So I know that's, that's been going on. And uh, so I, I, I hope to see it sometime this year because I, uh, I only have seen it from afar. And uh, I had no reason for me to go to Dodger Stadium this winter, uh, even though I've driven by it a few times. It, um, it it'll be good when it when it does. So, which how often do you travel with the team now? I do not travel with the team now. When when Vin um, ended his his run in 2016, uh, I stopped traveling then. Um, and that's that's okay with me. If Spectrum said we want you to travel, I would, but it gives me more time off now that I'm getting older and things like that. I've been on quite a few buses and planes and and trains and things yeah. like that. So um, well, that the 2016 was was a good we- good year to to cap it and uh, and to not travel. Well, I hope you're getting on the golf course now more often. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I can, I'll I'll get out and hit it and hit it sideways and just get some fresh air like we all need. And, uh, I'll probably play golf when it, when the rain stops. Yeah, I know everything's this, this whole rain the last two weeks. I don't know if we're kind of going crazy here in Southern California. I, I can't remember seeing two, <laughs> two straight weeks of rain. That's, that's very we're, odd, very unusual, but we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. We will take it. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, what did you have, Tyler? No, I was just going to say, I think uh, that that answers kind of all the questions I had. I don't know if you have any others, David. No, I mean, uh, you lived, you lived, you know, every experience that I've in my cognitive history that I, that I had, like the Piazza trade, uh, mm-hmm. that, how that oh, yeah. came down the, uh, and that was, you know, right before a game, you guys had to prep. Uh, you didn't even know who it, that was Todd Zeal going with Piazza and, Gary Sheffield coming back is the main thing, but how do you prep for how do you prep for like trade deadline and kind of all that stuff that hits? Well, we have we have to let it unfold, and when the PR people tell us, uh, then we we it, it might be two in the afternoon, it might be when we're home before we get to the stadium, or it, it might be okay they took him out of the lineup, uh, he was in the lineup and the trade deadline is approaching, uh, there might be something to that. And then we might find out after the game that they pulled him out of the lineup, and, and yes, he got traded. So it, it is on the fly uh, a lot of the time. Of course, now uh, and we're watching MLB Network in our or ESPN in our booth because we have a monitor for that. We're watching our computers, um, and we're monitoring that too. So sometimes that comes out before the the team's able to tell us but mm-hmm. almost 100% of the time the team will let us know when when want us to uh, when they want the announcers to talk about it and uh, release it so you're um, kind of at the mercy of the the PR team as soon as yeah. they kind of release it to you is when you guys are able to go ahead and talk about it we we are i mean you could speculate about it and and say ESPN is reporting whatever that might be okay. or ML, MLB network is reporting that trade's happening okay. even if it's not a, a Dodger trade or anything like that but uh, once we get two or three sources non-Dodger stuff once we get two or three sources then we usually go with it but if it's a a, a Dodger one we 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 let the PR people let us know got it because uh, that that's their job, and and we let them do that, and they do that very well. Seems like most baseball communication happens on Twitter more so than, than <laughs> any other. And it, it how do you incorporate all of that? Because um, it's so fast moving with Twitter, you know. Well, we're we're with the game going on. Um, both announcers are watching it. We're watching it, and if you if it's a good source. Uh, and maybe you've seen it somewhere else, they might use some of it or they might stay away from it. It just depends on what it is, the source, and what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. So as you know, you have to be careful with that going forward, uh, especially with uh, the structure of of how we disseminate uh, the news. And that's what it is. It's sports news, but it is news. Sounds good. Yeah, David David got me to download Twitter again. I kind of was off social media for a while and he's like, "You know, I get all my all my news and it's the quickest is on Twitter." And so I download it and now I'm checking constantly. Well, it just, it just is Ken Rosenthal's on there. John Heyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody yep. everybody is and they just and then you get the fake Ken Rosenthal trades, you know, like uh, like uh, Mookie Betts traded to uh I don't know, Baltimore. So, well, yes. Yeah, the John Heyman's. My sources tell me that so and so and so and so is going to get traded a- any moment now. Okay, well, why don't we wait till that happens? Yeah, yeah. As a baseball fan, why don't we kind of wrap up with this? As a baseball fan um, yourself, what's it been like these last few years where they've made this run, gotten so close with the Astros and the Red Sox? Um, what's it like? being so close as a fan and the success that they've had these last few years. Well, especially for the home games and the amount of home games that they have won at Dodger stadium is staggering. Uh, I would, there would be times where I would leave the stadium when they won so many in a row or uh, 24 out of 28 or something like that at home. And I would say to myself, okay, it's okay for them to lose. Uh, I'm going to be okay. We're <laughs> going to be okay. But it was an astounding run of playing well at home and all the different players contributing. Uh, like this past year, the, the rookie when the rookies uh, came through 
and uh, did all the walk off man yeah, like three, Smith. three different rookies on sure. two different games. Oh, that, that that's another head shaker. That's that's right. something where it's not supposed to happen. You, and you you get to say to yourself, I've never seen that happen at a at a baseball stadium, and it happened. So we're very fortunate that they've had wonderful teams playing at home and playing on the road and and winning their divisions and coming up short for for different reasons what we won't get into but uh <laughs> we we've, we've gotten into that yeah. in half of our podcast <laughs> I you have. Uh-huh. that's a bad that's a that that team over there that we was not going to be mentioned they're a bad word right now for us so <laughs> I, I just want I, I just want to confirm you didn't hear any uh, any banging trash cans at Dodger Stadium? <laughs> I, I did not. No banging hey. trash cans. It's like, that's because you had headphones on, so you might have been muffled. So I don't think you were listening clearly. <laughs> I, I actually wear a single muff, oh. so I can have an open ear, so I actually, actually listen for the trash cans. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Or are listening to uh, Joe and Oral or Rick Krajewski, our stat guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. We appreciate, I think we'll wrap it up here. We appreciate okay. having you on. Um, now, I guess you could say you saw Vin for all these years. You, you saw us. So you've seen the full spectrum, the, the great and the terrible. <laughs> no, it was good to talk to you, both of you and uh, keep up the good work and keep talking. And uh, Because that's what announcers do. They talk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're we're a work in progress, but we really appreciate your time, Boyd. It was uh, interesting, interesting to hear a lot of uh, your your take on, on um, that side of baseball. Thank, thank you, Tyler. David, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Have a good one, Boyd. Okay.